You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. It's Mike and Mike, and we are here to talk all about Woodstock. The 50th anniversary just passed, and we thought it'd be great for our music segment to talk all about it. And, you know, I have a personal history for it, and it's going to be interesting to hear what the others think about it, because did they see about it from the movie? Did they see about it from the records? Or some people, do they even know about Woodstock? It's going to be interesting to find out. But of course, the man who lives in the clouds with Lucy and the sky with diamonds, Mr. Mike Gordon. Like howdy, man. Wow, you almost sound like the dude. How's it, how's it hanging? Oh, at, if we're at Woodstock, it, we're muddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting wet, man. Well, that's a personal thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> that just that's going to go in a wrong direction. Let's stop that right now. It's a, it's a definitely a wrong way to start a, a, a show. That's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yes, talk about such a big event, fifty years uh, since uh, Woodstock, and uh, yeah, the, prepping for this episode learned a lot about about the event that uh, really impressed me. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to, like you said, sharing it with uh, our guests. So it's going to be a blast. Exactly. And we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Definitely would love to hear from you. Does anyone out there, were they actually at the concert? Where did they have any memories? I know last week we talked to Sabrina Pandora and she was there. Um, when she was a little baby, she was one of those naked babies running around, as she liked to say. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to find out who else was there. It it would be great to do that. So please definitely write us. Uh, definitely would like to also, you know, tell everyone, of course, about you know helping support the ESO network and helping, especially Earth Station One. You know, we don't talk about it enough, but definitely, please, wherever you go, listen to you know earth station one you know please go up rate us or subscribe to our show or leave us feedback we'd love to hear you know how can we improve the show how can we do change the show or whatever you know you guys think because some people have been leaving us feedback and you know rating us and that's how other people find out about us a lot of times a lot of his word of mouth but a lot of it is also how people leave uh ratings for us or reviews and we're up on all the major radio players and music players out there. So, you know, definitely, we'd love to definitely have you support us that way. And, you know, the other way you could support us was we talk each week is about Patreon. You can help become a Patreon supporter for as little as 25 cents a week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. And that's pretty much it. I think we do have a lot to talk about this week, so let's do a quick rant and raves. Mike, you went to the movies, didn't you? I did, and uh, you know, every once in a while, I just, you know, I have to like. There's, I, I love blockbusters. I love this summer movie season. I love superhero movies. 
you know, throughout most of the movies that we've seen this year so far this summer um, have been great. I think, you know, we've reviewed a lot of them on the show and I've had a blast, but it's really nice to just sort of um, forget about the superheroes, the capes, forget about the explosions, the violence, the, the, you know, quippy one-liners and just go see a movie about people. And so that's exactly what Michelle and I did uh, this past weekend. We saw The Farewell, which is a beautiful movie. Um, it's about a uh, Chinese family. Um, and uh, the setup is, is that uh, the grandmother, who still lives in China, has, uh, has contracted a disease in which she's, uh, it's, it's going to be terminal. Uh, but the family has decided not to tell her. Um, and, um, the, uh, the main character is, is an American, a Chinese American in the family who doesn't understand why they, you don't, you know, cause over in America, you would have to tell her, right? Uh, so it's just a different sort of culture clash. Um, but it's really well done. It's beautifully rendered by director Lulu Wang who wrote and directed this based on an incident that happened to her. Um, it stars Aquafina, who I had no idea who she was before this. Apparently she's a rapper. Um, and she's been in uh, other white movie, uh, other movies like, um, uh, I think she's in, is it crazy rich Asians? Is that the name of the movie that came out? Um, uh, but apparently she's in that as well as some other things. But in any case, uh, she does a great performance in this as well as all the acting is great. And it's just a nice, quiet, but really well done. There's, it's very heartwarming. There's, there's, there's scenes in that that made me laugh. Uh, and yeah, it's very touching. Of course, it deals with, you know, family dying. So it's not all, um, you know, laughs and giggles. There's some real emotion with this as well and uh you know through all the 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 explosions and everything else that goes on it's just nice to be grounded in a movie that's about people and i I appreciate this i mean normally movies like this come out in the fall for oscar season and whatnot so the fact that this movie actually got funded at all the fact that it was released in the summer i think they were just thinking let's just do it and get it over with but um, it did get some good buzz at Sundance, which is uh, why I think it was picked up by a major studio and, and, and then um, distributed widely. So, um, cause a lot of times movies like this now just go straight to streaming and some people see them and some people don't. So um, I had a great time seeing this. Michelle liked it as well. And I really recommend it. If you get a chance to see the farewell, um, obviously I recommend seeing it in the theater, but you know, it's an intimate movie. So uh, if you see it at home, I, I don't think you're going to lose a lot, but uh, it's really, really a great film. It's a great film. And I think during Oscar season, you're going to hear this movie mentioned quite a bit. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing it. You couldn't stop raving about it. I still can't. I know. I could tell. That is awesome. But you, sir, have been watching some things on the tiny screen. I have. Well, it's not or that the slightly tiny. less big screen. I was going to say, it's not that small of a screen anymore. You know, most people have really big screens in their houses. It's true. And, and they're just getting bigger and bigger. And I can make lots of comments, but I'm not going to. So uh, basically, I did watch two TV shows and I want to rave about them. Uh, first one, of course, on Netflix is The Umbrella Academy. I might have mentioned it in the 
rant to, at the end of the show and you know for our shout outs talking about how good the umbrella academy is folks this show is really good i would highly recommend it it's not your typical superhero show and it's just it's a very dark story and looks at it's kind of looking at the x-men type characters but from a kind of different viewpoint and it's just it's really well done and the actors and the biggest one i think in the show is actually what ellen page is uh, one of the most known but there's a lot of great actors in this i've seen some other of these actors on the cw and other tv shows or movies and so a lot of them are really familiar to you and the story takes a lot of twists and turns and it you know keeps you guessing i don't want to spoil it because a lot of you out there haven't seen it there but it is based off a comic book and very well done and would highly recommend it and then over on amazon prime i would also want to recommend the boys which is a brand new show it only came out i think probably two three weeks ago and a lot of people it's already one of amazon's most highest rated shows ever and it's amazing it's based off a comic book by garth ennis and it is another one that is will blow you your socks off it's basically if superheroes were just real people not bigger than life and you know you have like a justice league type group who isn't as squeaky clean as things seem and i'll just leave it at that and there's really standout characters in this um acting is really well done and again has some very familiar faces and definitely you know check it out again i would love to talk about this and if you see me at dragon con please i'll talk your ears off on these two shows they are amazing and you know both left the, the series is open for second seasons and i've heard the boys is already filming their second season so i know they're coming back and umbrella academy has just got picked up for a second season so i know they're going to be working on it too so look for both of those in 2020 so you know it's probably going to be at least a year so you see the second seasons but please watch the first seasons these are definitely two shows if you're into comics and superhero stuff, but not the typical superheroes, please check it out. So I think that's going to wrap up Rants and Raves for this week. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you guys. So please write us at our station one at esonetwork.com. And like I said, if you have anything you guys want us to talk about, please write us. We definitely would love to hear from you. With that being said, let's take a quick break. And we have a new show joining the ESO Network, and they're going to be in the geek seat now. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Well, we are now entering what I like to call the box office doldrums after the summer movies have come and gone, and it's really not until mid-September when things are going to start to pick back up again. 
But nevertheless, we still do have some new things coming out in theaters. Angel Has Fallen is a new political action thriller. It follows Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen, the two other movies in this franchise, about a Secret Service agent played by Gerard Butler. I've personally not seen any of the movies in this franchise, but apparently they're doing at least fairly well because they keep making them. Also, we have the horror flick called Ready or Not, which is about a newly married couple who attend a lethal family gathering. It's been interesting to kind of see, at least it seems to me, that we're having more horror movies lately and that they're doing pretty well in the theater or at least generating some conversation. It's interesting because I think that horror movies as a whole are a little bit cheaper to produce than some of these big budget like superhero, sci-fi, action epics that require so many special effects. So it's interesting, even though like some of these smaller horror films are not going to do the numbers of Avengers or Star Wars or something like that, but they have such a smaller budget that even if they're moderately successful, they still turn a profit for the studio. And I think it's also interesting to consider too, you know, we're living in times where there is a lot of fear and uncertainty. So maybe people see horror films as kind of this cathartic story, a way to process some of these fears and concerns that we have. And again, I've commented times before that horror isn't necessarily my favorite genre, but I do think it is interesting to see this kind of trending up, especially since there are some horror movies that I found really fascinating, like Get Out. I absolutely love that one. thought it had some really insightful things to say. So definitely could be a trend that we're seeing and showing, again, that some of these smaller movies can coexist alongside the big blockbusters. There's a lot of concern, some that I've heard about Disney acquiring all these studios and all these big blockbusters kind of like swallowing the box office but I think there's still a place for some smaller films and the current popularity of horror films is perhaps showing that. On DVD this week we have a comedy called The Hustle about two con artists played by Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. This is a movie that I had personally wanted to see but never quite got around to it in the theater so now's my chance. We also have a dark superhero drama called Brightburn. I was curious about this one and also did not get a chance to see it in theaters. It's sort of the reverse of the Superman story about a boy with powers who starts becoming a villain instead. I think this is a really great and intriguing concept, especially as superhero movies are so popular these days. It's kind of intriguing to look at the flip side of that. What if someone with powers decided to become a villain instead of using those powers for good? So definitely looking forward to checking that one out. That's all the entertainment news I have for this week, but if you're looking for other content, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. Hey, Adam Thomas. Yes, Thomas Mariani. You know how there are podcasts about bad movies? Yeah. And also podcasts about good movies? Yeah. Well, what if a podcast could cover both? What? Listen to Double Edge Double Bill, where a random selected yin and yang of a double feature is picked and then picked apart. Now, who came up with this wacky idea? Adam, we did. That's our show. I'm learning something new every day. Listen to us on the ESO Network and wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. We have a 
bunch of new friends with us tonight for the Geek Seat segment, and we are very happy to announce that we are growing here at the ESO Network once again, and we have Thomas and Adam from the Double Edge Double Bill Podcast joining us. Hello. Hey. Howdy, guys. Welcome to the station. It's uh, Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's, it's good to be a part of a community. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with your podcast, tell us a little bit about uh, what it's about. Well, basically, uh, Adam and I um, have a podcast every week called Double Edge Double Bill, where at the end of the previous episode, we pick a randomized double feature um, based on um, either Adam and I um, either have two good picks or two bad picks. And then we each randomly choose number between one and ten, and we decide our own individual movies numbers between one and ten, and that's what gets us our double features. So, for example, uh, the first episode that's up on the ESO network, which should be at the time that you're listening to this, is for the year 1999 as a topic. And the good film, which was Adam's uh, choice, was Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. Um, and uh, we ended up randomly picking that one as a good feature. And the bad feature from one of my two choices was the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, End of Days. Yeah, that's, uh, that is an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, end of days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but that's what we like doing about the show is we get an um, interesting look at each other's tastes, and also we can get a very odd double feature that we would never in a million years think of. Um, but we find the connections between the two movies. We also just uh, either look really praising a movie or really hating on one because we figured, you know, there are plenty of move- podcasts about great movies and plenty of podcasts about bad movies, but. Uh, why not both, to quote the girl from the taco commercial? Well, the fact that you're willing to, you know, keep watching bad movies uh, for no other reason than the enjoyment of other people, uh, just, you know, it goes to show, I guess you guys are a couple of sadists. And we get off on it, obviously. I think that's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so tell me, like, uh, how uh, you guys got involved with podcasting in general. Like, what, what led us to this moment? Um, well, I started podcasting in college. Um, it was literally an example, of, like one of my favorite shows that is no longer in existence. Uh, that was called the, uh, weekly blend audio show, um, was asking like, Hey, um, anybody who was a fan who wants to Skype in, uh, you know, can go ahead and do that. And we can have you join the show for an episode. And I was like, it's a Kensington orphan with a hat in my hand, like, please uh, let me on the show. And I was the only one that ever Skyped in. So I just became a regular on that fucking show. <laughs> and then uh, from there, um, I ended up doing another show that was called Horror News Radio. And I spun off into my own podcast um, about the 90s era of horror. And that's where I met Adam. Um, and then I left uh, the network that did a lot of those horror-related podcasts. Um, and I decided to do my own thing that didn't just specify in horror. That became a bit wider range. And Adam uh, was dumb enough to follow me. Yeah, that was pretty stupid. Yeah, you regret it every single day of your life. I, I really do. <laughs> um, no, that's basically, I mean, in a nutshell, how it started for me, too. I, I experimented a little bit with trying a couple podcasts here and there. But I found, you know, with a new wife and a new baby on the way, it wasn't that easy to hold to it. Um, but Thomas would have me guest on his show uh, almost weekly. There's very few weeks that I missed. And... Um, and then when he left to do this one, he I was the first person he reached out to, and I instantly was like, yep. And now it's been over a year. 
Wow. Now, you guys knew each other before podcasting? Nope. Not at all. Okay, so podcasting brought you together. Yes. Yep. Interesting. See, Mike, it can work out. Don't pressure your luck, dude. <laughs> Just remember that. <laughs> yeah. It can also, believe me, it can also tear you apart. Um, so uh, you'll find out. Um, but um, uh, so where do you guys like sort of, uh, as far as what your passions are, uh, what you're bringing to the table, your fandoms, what would you say, uh, let's start with you, Adam, your first, like, your ver- first passionate uh, fandom? Oh, it's probably comic books. Um, I grew up, uh, my dad was a huge, huge comic book fan. Uh, I mean, to the point where his entire basement still is decorated to one half's the Fortress of Solitude, the other half's Gotham. Um, nice. And so I just grew up loving comic books and loving and loving. And then when the movies came out, you know, all that stuff. So it definitely was comic books first. And then it like 80 slasher movies. So it was comic books and then horror movies. Very nice. Very nice. And Thomas, what about you? Where do, where do your passions lie? Um, I would say probably as a kid, it was initially comedy, especially a lot of like animated cartoons. Like I was a big uh, basic cable kid who grew up with like, uh, the first big wave of like Nicktoons, Cartoon Network, a lot of that stuff. Um, and that kind of evolved into um, a lot of, especially watching animated shows and finding all the different references to various different TV shows and films and sparking onto that. Like, especially I, I was such a huge Simpsons fan as a child and then finding out like, oh, they basically remade Citizen Kane in various different forms and various different scenes from different episodes, you could string together all their parodies and get the whole movie of Citizen Kane. And so from there, I kind of just like really looked into and became, I'm much more of like just a film fan in general, but I, I like to consider myself not really um, married to any single specific fandom. I like a good smorgasbord as it were of geek stuff. Yeah. Very excellent. Very excellent. Now, uh, you guys mentioned that you've been doing the show for about a year. Um, so uh, if for those people who might want to, you know, check out and, and listen to, of course, the first one that's available on the network, is there anyone in particular, an episode that you feel like is a perfect example of, of what they can expect from your show uh, in the, that you've done in the past? A double bill that you've had that you're like, that was really um, amazing. Um, one of my favorites probably in the past, um, few years was, uh, we did one about best picture winners, um, from earlier this year. Um, I'm trying to remember what episode that was. It was somewhere around like the thirties or so, but, uh, we talked about a really weird double bill of, we did Moonlight, um, and we did, uh, Driving to Stacy and we had a great guest, Jonathan Habden McHale, who's been on several of our episodes come on. And it was the great mixture that I really want to do out of the show, which is, like actual intelligent discussion and our usual bullshit that we do. I think that's what I really mm-hmm. aim for with the show is to mix like genuine, actual discussion about the two movies, how they kind of relate, how especially to the topic they relate. And those two were very interesting. Um, and also we talked about silly stuff. And even that was a great example where Adam had not seen one of the films with uh, Moonlight, which he picked yeah. just because he wanted to see it. And uh, spoilers, he fell in love with it, which is something I also love with the show is when we discover something that either um, we fall in love with or our flabbergasted exists in this case, like really bad ones. <laughs> Yeah, my, my favorite ahead, might be the Star Trek episode. Yes, that's we right. did. Um, 
Yeah, we did uh, The Wrath of Khan and Generations. Ah, and, yes. Uh, that was a good one. And another good guest on for that one. Uh, it's got Casey Gerard, And the whole episode was us just laughing and doing bad impersonations and everything. That was just a fun thing to do. Well, and also coming from very, very different perspectives, because Casey was way more of a trekker than either Adam or especially I was. And so you get like a lot of different perspectives as well of that particular fandom, which we also love getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would imagine with Star Trek, a lot of double bills could be made of the odd and even numbers. Yes. A hundred percent. Just mix, just mix and match. Right. Yep. Um, well, very cool. Well, like I said, welcome to the network. We are glad to have you guys join us and be part of the network, the ESO network. And Mike, they are all warmed up and ready to go. So they are strapped to the chair, both of them together. Uh, I've kind of been maneuvering as they've been uh, talking. So, um, and I'm not going to even bother to ask who's on top, who's on bottom. So it there doesn't matter. It's all good. It's all good either way. We're side by side, and it's really just horrible. We can barely fit in. We're like sardines. It's just so horrible. Yeah. Yeah, we it's really awful. Mm-hmm. You know, let the audience have their pictures however they want it. So it's okay. We're pretty easy that way. Here on the network, we're just glad to have you guys here, no matter what you're into. It's cool. Of course. <laughs> of course. So, who wants to go first with the first question? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll go ahead and swing first. All right, Adam. What was your favorite geek out moment then? Uh, the first one I remember that really popped me that I was like, oh my God, was the classic I'm Batman from the 89 Batman. Oh, sure. Of course. That was great. And then the other one I could think of was the first Easter egg from Iron Man. From the very first one when you were like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Oh, of course. You're like going, <gasps> oh, wow. Yep. That's potential. Awesome. Yeah, of course. What about you, Thomas? Well, this is the confusion here because from what I heard from previous episodes, I believe it's actually just like a personal moment of geek outery. Is that what you traditionally is? Yeah, that's your favorite geek out moment. So sure. Well, um, there was we always let we always let the you guys decide on what you know you guys have as answers. Right. Very. We, we, we don't we don't force feed you. you we we just don't like doing a lot of work. No, really, not <laughs> right. at all. Yes. We, we throw yeah. the questions out there and just leave it all up. Exactly. Exactly. That pretty, that pretty much says everything about the ESO network too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, well, in terms of like a personal one for me, this is more of an actual experience I had. Um, in my college, uh, there was a two-night uh, sort of event where they were showing the films of Edgar Wright, and they had um, Edgar Wright go on and do Q&As after each movie. Um, and I can't remember. I think it was after the, the, when they showed Scott Pilgrim, because this was right before um, The World's End was uh, about to come out. And um, I went up to the mic to ask a question. I was obviously nervous. Um, I was very much like oh my god this is one of my favorite like directors that's currently working so great and the person who was running the Q&A who was a friend of mine chat to Jessica um just said like oh come on Thomas you can do it you got it and I had enough of a wherewithal to like just say you know what I'm gonna try like in a kind of fake voice of sorts and Edgar Wright laughed at that and I like melted and I think I asked whatever question I did, but it didn't matter because I was just like in a melted position of like this fucker left at what I said. This is so great. I was just a puddle. It was so wonderful. You just melted right there on the spot. Yes. Okay. That's fair. That is totally fair. All right, Thomas, what turns your geek off? Um, well, in terms of like a disappointing geek moment, 
Um, I would you believe it's the second question? Um, but um, it yes, it's the the um, for me. This is another event. This is like the polar opposite. Where cut to a few years after that, I'm at South by Southwest, and I'm at a screening that's a 70 millimeter version of The Road Warrior, which George Miller is there doing a Q and A for, and he's also gonna he showed a clip from Mad Max Fury Road, which was about to come out at that time, and I once again got up to do the Q and A thing. Um, especially because it was hosted by Drew McWeeny. And he even said, this is a once in a lifetime event, people come on up and ask him a question. And I was really gung ho about like, going to ask him about sort of the difference between him doing a Mad Max movie. And then he also did like the two babe movies. So I was very excited to ask him this question. And then they're like, well, before any people in the you know audience ask, I think we have a specific personal fan who wanted to come up and talk about something. And that person was Robert Rodriguez who came up, and did a whole spiel about like, oh, hey, I'm an independent filmmaker in Austin, and I'm a big fan of your work, and I love you so much. He went on and on and on about how much he loved George Miller, which is like, you could have had this meeting at some other point, dude. Like other people want <laughs> to go up and ask him a question. And I was like, just a, I was going to be like the next person after like they had a couple other people come on. And then they were like, oh, and I'm sorry, we're done. Oh. Yeah. That, yeah, I can understand that Yeah. One. Yeah. Totally can. All right, Adam, same question. All of Batman versus Superman? <laughs> I can't That's easy enough. Yeah. <laughs> that is totally understandable. Martha, why do you say that name? Oh, why would he call her? Why would Superman yeah, call her answer. Martha? That doesn't. I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah, you better go because I'm getting enraged. Okay. <laughs> All right, Adam, what keeps you out the most? Uh, one of my favorite things is I like hearing uh, like potential casting news for upcoming movies that I might be interested in, like be it the Dune movie or the Marvel movies or even remakes and stuff like that. I just really, really, because then I can start putting a movie together in my mind once I hear the cast and then also obviously the director. But that always gets, gets my goat, and I keep uh, doing research and stuff once I get excited. Oh, totally understand that one. Totally understand that one. All right, Thomas, what does geek you out the most? Um, I would personally say um, it's uh, being around like classic sort of um, movie props. Um, I, I loved when I went to LA, the first thing I really wanted to do was like tour one of the studios and I did for like the Warner Brothers tour, which if you've never been to like LA and you want to do like some kind of movie uh, touristy thing, that is the one to do. Don't go to Hollywood Boulevard. Um, it's full of trash. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty terrible. The ground Chinese isn't all it's cracked up to be, but going to like the Warner brothers store and like seeing like, Oh, that's the costume that this person wore, or this is like some you know prop from Harry Potter or just seeing something live in person that was like just on a movie so especially like a practical effect or a puppet like i loved um i i want to go back at some point but one of the times i went to dragon con recent um in the last few years was to the museum of puppetry and seeing like the kermit the frog and all these other things oh, sure, sure. yeah i was just in like sort of an ecstasy moment just like these things were like touched by jim henson and all this other stuff that really um just turns my geek on as it were awesome what turns your geek off? Um, I think oh, geeks who are too overprotective. Um, I think, especially in recent years, we've kind of gotten that with like sort of toxic fandoms that have been around. I don't want to go too far. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I uh, get away from me. This is I'm only right. <laughs> you mean like that? <laughs> a bit, yes. That, that's a good approximation. Um, that that sort yeah. of uh, thing, especially where it's like so counterproductive to change in a sort of um, in a fandom, especially like I think Star Wars has been a classic example of that. Where in recent years, uh, I think Disney's done some interesting things, and a lot of people are kind of abrasive to it because it's not quite what they liked about it when they were younger. Oh, no, totally understand that. What about you, Adam? Uh, pretty much the same. Toxic fandom, for sure. And also Kevin Smith. Really? I can't stand Kevin Smith, man. If you, wow. if you ever show, I got like five, six guys who are the, na- the mention of their name angers me. And he's definitely one of them. I just, I really liked him growing up, but now it's like, oh, man. Just, God. So I guess you're not going to be first in line to go see Kevin, the Clerks reboot. Oh, it looks that looks terrible. Oh, that looks so bad. Personal opinion, but that looks rough. I'm not okay. into owner humor comedies, anyways, and that looks like just exactly what that is. But Adam can't That's wait to get. watch his Netflix He Man, which just got announced as we're recording. Uh huh. All right, Adam. What fictional character do you like to meet the most? Ah, uh, Captain Kirk, man. Just the stories and the pointers he could give you, be it through military tactics or picking up chicks or whatever. Captain Kirk's the man. Totally understand that. What about you, Thomas? Um, I would, I think this one's a bit more doable given some time travel and stuff. This is one that could have potentially happened. Um, Jim Henson era Kermit the Frog. Like I would love to have one of those moments where like you've seen like the old Sesame street clips where it's like a kid meets Kermit and instantly just talking directly to Kermit. Jim isn't even a factor. Like I would love to have like that specific moment or even like when he goes on the, if you've seen the old stuff where he's on like tonight show and stuff like that. And Kermit's just talking to Johnny Carson and being a bit more loose, a bit less kid friendly. Um, any of those kind of situations I would have uh, died for. Okay. So you could see yourself in the opening scene of the Muppet movie. Got it. Yes. When Kermit is down there on the log. Of course. Yeah. I, I would be Dom DeLuise. I would risk getting eaten by a weird alligator Muppet shirt. Of course. What fictional character would you like to meet the least, though? Um, thought a bit about it. Uh, Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, for a lot of reasons. I think even if he wasn't trying to kill me, there's just a lot of other skeevy things. I'm just like, I want to be around you. And unfortunately, okay. he feels very realistic to some of the skeevy people you might meet in that toxic fan community. <laughs> Yes, just wait till next week at Dragon. Of course. Of course. All right, Adam, same question. Buffalo Bill from Science of the Lambs? Good Lord. (laughs) It puts the lotion on. Or Anton from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, okay. I don't want to talk to that guy. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, no. No. Nope, 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 nope. What is your favorite geek word phrase or quote or pose. Uh, I really, really dig the um, the classic. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer from Dune. Oh, uh, very cool. Uh, Dune is one of my absolute favorite stories of all time, and uh, that one always stuck with me. As a even when I read it as a teenager, and even now through all the movies, the miniseries, and hopefully the new one. So that's sure. probably, that's probably my favorite. Okay, Thomas. Um, ever since I was one of the few people, uh, kids amongst my age group to see this in a the theater, um, this mantra has been, this, this quote has been my mantra from, uh, the Iron Giant, 
you are who you choose to be. I feel like that really shaped me as a young kid in terms of saying like, it's not really about where you come from or about what you're perceived to be. It's what you ultimately want to do in life. That is what you choose to be. That is who you are. And I think that's been a guiding principle that I try to live by every day. No, totally see that. I truly, truly see that. No, that's, that's a good one, actually. What is your ideal geek occupation? Um, especially in terms of like just a fictional pie in the sky one. Um, one that I would love is um, to be like an Ollivander from the Harry Potter series. To be not necessarily the guy who does the magic, but helps sort of the guiding force for someone who's coming into magic. To find the right fit for them in terms of something like a wand, which is a personal item that really affects who you are in this like huge magical sphere. It's this piece of individuality that sort of beckons to you. I would love to be the guy to sort of pass that to somebody. Oh, sure. You you would be like almost like the mentor, the person who like guides them towards where they need to go. Well, not necessarily a mentor. It's just like, here's the one, go away. <laughs> like, I don't have to do the go tough away. stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. No parenting There's skills. Got it. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm more like an uncle. Just like, here you go, kid. Bye. Go to your parents. Okay. What about, what about you, Adam? I want to be like Indiana Jones, man. An, an international adventurer slash architect. Like, I mean, was there anybody cooler or tougher than Indiana Jones? No, definitely not. I think that's awesome. No, Indiana Jones did it, and he built great buildings, too, as an architect. Yes, I'm sure he did. Okay. What geek occupation would you not like to do? I don't want to clean out that, like, watery trash pit on the Death Star. I don't want to go down there. (laughs) Especially there's, like, a one-eyed Cyclops monster down there. God knows what's going on with that thing. Yeah, I know. Keep me out of there. So no to the janitor on the Death Star. Got it. Right. Well, yeah. Especially because you'd be working on the Death Star when it blows up. So ultimately, you're just going to die. Well, yeah, pretty much, unless you're on vacation that day. That's true. Exactly. All right, Thomas. Well, for me, um, admittedly, this is also Star Wars related and even Death Star Empire related, but... I think one that goes underrated in terms of like the really bad jobs is being one of the red emperor guards in return of the Jedi specifically, because all you're doing all day is just standing in front of one door and your only company is this dude who like sits in a chair and looks at a giant window. And maybe if he does talk to you, it's just like, so you like the empire. You like it. And you're just standing there just like, oh, God, I'm wearing this awful thing and I can't take it off and I can barely move in it. This is so terrible. And then the one moment where you might have like some kind of fun is like, oh, crap, Luke Skywalker's here and he's going to have the best, like, arguably lightsaber fight of all time. And the Emperor's like, leave. There's no windows in there for to see that shit. I love that Palpatine talks up his guards. What, what else is he going to do in there, Adam? <laughs> That Darth Vader's a cool dude, right? (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right, guys. This is your final question. I'll let you guys decide who wants to go first on this one. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Uh, Adam, go ahead. You started this off. You might as well be the last first. Are we talking, like, if I could be involved in, like, a fandom or something that I would, well, I guess you said it's up to us. Yeah, Uh it is up to you. I would we, really like we say we say mum. That's it. Gotcha. I would really, really like to have my own space in like my own house 
where I could own props and costumes and scripts from all the movies I loved and have them on display and just be able to sit there and look at them and think about the history of where they came from and things like that, like something tangible to hold. Oh, sure. Well, you know, you'll be able to do that with all the podcast money you're going to be making. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Can't wait for the checks to roll in. Oh, damn it. They figured us out, Thomas. Oh, damn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. We knew it. Ha. Okay, Thomas, what's your answer? I would love the ability to, even if just once, to be able to travel back in time and specifically be on the set of like a super famous movie. Um, I, I'm thinking something like, you know, a Wizard of Oz or something like that. that just has like the most gorgeous, like elaborate sets and has some of the most interesting people on that set. Even if it's not necessarily that movie, it could be something as small and intimate as something like uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or just like some kind of, I, I would love to be on one of those sets where like it might be kind of cantankerous. I don't, I don't want to be necessarily a PA doing a job, but I want to be a fly on the wall for them shooting like either a famous scene or just hanging out together, whatever the movie might be, or something that, like I said, has some gorgeous elaborate special effect. Like my favorite movie of all time is the 1986 Little Shop of Horrors. And I would love to be on the set where that amazing practical effect, arguably to me, the best practical effect of all time, Audrey 2, just standing there. I would love to be just in the room where all of that magic happens. No, totally understand that. I think that's pretty awesome. That is a great answer, actually. Well, very cool. Well, Adam, Thomas, you've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. so many people to thank. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young men what they've won other than being part of the ESO Network. Well, that's a winning award. What else could there be? Uh, But you have also won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, which you are now part of a value easily worth $26.09. Wow, these guys have pushed our value yeah, all the did. way through the sky. All right. Yeah. They're now, right. do we have to split that $26? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't they know that the money's only worth something on the yeah, station? Yeah, it's, uh, They'll find oh, out. Right. They'll find wow. out. Yeah, oh, these are <laughs> Disney dollars? Damn it. Bingo! It's a station currency. It, it it drops in value as the closer you get to the Earth. Damn monopoly money. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thanks for having us Absolutely. on, guys. Thanks for letting so, thanks a lot. People, you know, obviously they can go to the ESO Network uh, website to check out the new episodes. But you guys have a presence as well. Where should they go and check you guys out? Um, well, we are at DEDB Pod in terms of the podcast itself on Facebook and Twitter. Um, every Monday, we put out a feeler for anybody who likes the page to comment or reply, depending on what platform you're using, and uh, to the questionnaire of like what's your favorite, least favorite thing related to whatever topic that we're doing at the time. Um, we also um, are on uh, individual platforms. I'm on at Not the Who's Tommy on Twitter. Um, that's where I do a lot of my. Um, musings on my on my own um, i also do writing at my blog is marianithomas.wordpress.com and i do some uh, satiric onion like uh, superhero news reporting at uh, true superhero news only uh, com. Uh, i for example just put up an article about how uh, bradley cooper will be performing uh, rocket raccoon uh, as jackson maine from a star is born that's my scoop that i just put out today as a satiric fun bit. So uh, only true superhero fans, uh, dot com. Excellent. Well, 
I'm not. I'm literally not anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. At least he's honest here. about it. Come on, yeah. stay off the radar. Stay off the radar. Technology. Yep. Off the grid. Off the grid. That's right. All right. Well, very cool. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us, and uh, we'll have we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Welcome aboard. It's great to have you guys going on the network now. And let's take a quick break. And we'll be back in a moment. And we are going to be talking all about Woodstock. It's getting to the point where I'm Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. For those of you who have forgotten, for those of you who haven't forgotten, and for those of you who never knew. By the time we got to Woodstock. Woodstock, an incredible film about an incredible event, is back. Man, there's supposed to be a million and a half people here by tonight. Can you dig that? It's really amazing. You know, it looks like some kind of uh, biblical, epical, unbelievable scene. Woodstock, with a cast of a half a million outrageously friendly people. Uh, you want me to explain it in plain English? It's a dirty mess. Woodstock, the people, the vibes, the music. Swing along. Country Joe, Crosby, Stills, Guthrie, Richie, Jimmy, Hendrix, and John Sebastian, Sean Sly, and the Family Stone, The Who. Woodstock, where it all began. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Earth Station One. It's time to go back in time to August 15th through the 17th of 1969. And we are going up to White Lake, New York, and we are going to be talking all about Woodstock. Yes, Woodstock turns 50. It's been uh, the 50th anniversary uh, just this past weekend as we're recording this. And uh, we're going to talk all about it Um uh, we've got with us, of course, our music crew. Uh, Michelle is here. Hi. And uh, we've got Ricky and Bambi joining us as Hello. well. Hello. Hello. Meow, meow. So uh, now the way I'll start this is uh, with, uh, you know, there was only one person who's on this recording that was actually there, Mike. So so I'm going to start with you and, and tell us what do you were actually, I mean, you were two, right? I was two years old. Do you actually remember anything about this? Not a thing. 
Okay, so so we can. It's a well established. And, and you know what? But, Probably a lot of the four hundred thousand people are li- just like you. They don't remember. Well, my a lot of them had the brown acid, right? Of course. Well, <laughs> my family was there also. Not just my mom and dad, but I had aunts and uncles at the you know at the concert because I actually grew up a mile and a half from where Woodstock took place. Gotcha. The actual wow. concert. And so, so for me, it was always. You know, oh, that's where that concert was. This is what the, you know, the, when all the people were there. We heard about it from all the time I can start remembering. It was always, oh, right down that street is where Woodstock was and, you know, where Yasker's farm was. And it was literally every day and hearing the story. And then when the movie came out, being able to see people in that movie that I knew and, you know, growing up. And, you know, so it became, you know, that and everything. And it's funny how you said, but people at the concert who, you know, half half of them don't even remember the concert itself. My uncle who was at the concert says, if somebody says they remember Woodstock, they were not at Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so what, uh, what about, uh, so the stories that you were told from, uh, your family, from your parents in particular, uh, was it something that was a special moment for them? Oh, of course. It was magic. And, you know, it was magic in a disaster area. Woodstock was the concert that should have failed so many different ways. And we'll talk all about that in a little bit. And because I want to hear what everyone else has to say about it. But, you know, it's it was my family, you know, my parents, especially, they were like, it was, you know, they were close enough that they could hear the music, but the stage literally, you know, they were one of 400,000 people. The stage was probably the size of a matchbox car to them, you know, and, you know, they did the camping and all my, everybody there did the camping and everything. We didn't go back to our house or anything because it was almost impossible to get back to the house. I was going to say, going to and from was just not possible. No, it wasn't. It was almost impossible to leave the area. And, you know, it was just, you know, talking to my grandmother and because, you know, the house we had there was a family house. It was all our family that was there. And it was, you know, grand, my grandparents were there. My aunt and uncles were there. My aunt, who was 10 years old, was too young to go to Woodstock. And so her parents, of course, didn't let her, but everyone else did. My uncle, um, Ed, had, was one of the vendors at Woodstock. He was selling jewelry. And, you know, now, you know, he's he selling hippie jewelry back then. Now he has a gallery on Fifth Avenue selling jewelry. So it's pretty, you know, it's neat to see how people evolve. I mean, my uncle Roy, who was, you know, at there, I think he was 17 at the time. He, you know, he was, you know, now he's a born again Jehovah's Witness and, you know, but he still talks about it and everything. So it's pretty cool to see how different people evolve. Uh, before we move on to everybody else, just one last question. Do you, or is it, is there anything in the family that you guys have that you, uh, that was acquired at Woodstock, either original tickets or posters or anything that you guys have from, from the event? I have in my house, a framed original poster. 
from now, the did concert. it come from like there or did you just get it acquire it later no my family passed it down they got it you know at the time because oh, that's awesome because it said white like new york and they were all oh this sounds awesome and anything and you know <laughs> and type thing so it's it's pretty awesome to you know see it so yeah i i got it because it was my parents and then when my parents passed away i inherited it and so i have it now and it's sitting in my house up on the wall awesome awesome so michelle what does what's what does woodstock mean to you well before this past weekend it just meant a big show that happened a long time ago and now i look at it as sort of this wonderful little bubble in American history and music history, something that could never be replicated. It was just something very pretty and unique. And when it was time was done, it burst. It was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was like almost a, I don't want to say a perfect storm. I mean, there was storms happening, obviously. (laughs) And there wasn't, there was a lot about it that wasn't perfect. Obviously there was a lot of things that went wrong, but yet like some real like beauty came out of it. Yeah. Um, which is amazing to think of. I think, um, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you and I were both alive at the time, but it, like Mike, I was too young. I, it wasn't even on my radar. And my parents were not the kind of parents that would have even thought about it. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> they, they wouldn't, it would not even <laughs> occur to them to go to Woodstock, not at all. Or mine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Although they did go to the uh the they they have their honeymoon at the New York World's Fair. I always thought that was cool. There's a big I, difference though between Woodstock and the New York World's Fair. No, no, I know, I know. I just think I just think, you know, as far as adventurers of my parents, you know, they they had some a little bit of adventure in them. But uh anyway, uh Bambi, what about you? What does Woodstock mean to you? Um well Woodstock again, I guess with a lot of things like the Beatles, they just it, it was always just around. It like I've, I was always familiar with it without actually knowing what it was. Just as a little kid, it was just a word that meant something. Usually it seemed to uh, go along with hippies, though. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was a little yeah. kid, anytime somebody would be talking about Woodstock, it would be usually talking about hippies. And that's kind of where I learned what hippies were. <laughs> so, not very interesting, but there we go. No, absolutely. No, it's very interesting, actually, because everyone has their own input. What it means to them yeah and it's amazing to see or you know it's interesting to see also like over the years um you know how like woodstock is whether or not the message is still there you know um whether or not it does mean what it meant at the time and for people who were there and uh whether or not the legacy of woodstock will live on uh i think it will to a large degree but as far you know as we're losing more and more people who were actually there um it's going to be interesting to see that transition. Although I don't know if I'll be able to actually see that transition myself, but uh, um, you know, at the end of it anyway, Uh, Ricky, what about you? I don't remember when I first heard about Woodstock. It's one of those things that I, I kind of always remember knowing something about, but I didn't know much about it until I got into music myself. And I think um, seeing the posters uh, there's a famous poster that's um, a hand on a guitar neck with a bird, mm-hmm. and it says something like three days of uh, peace, love, and music." That's the poster I have. Um, and 
it, it kind of, uh, when I first saw the poster and first started understanding who was there and really what Woodstock meant, um, it, it was cool. But as I got older and as I learned more about it and as I saw uh, some of the performances from people and heard some of the stories that the musicians told about the event, I realized that it really was a more unique event, a more special occasion uh, than I had originally understood it to be. So over time, my impression of Woodstock has changed greatly, but I don't remember when I first heard about it. It just is one of those things that seems like it's always been part of the uh, collective consciousness. So it's amazing to me. And I look at the poster of what was billed, you know, what was advertised because the poster was, you know, everywhere, at least as far as the counterculture went. Um, That's what attracted so many people was, um, you know, the fact that it lived up to the, the three days of peace and music is amazing in and of itself with everything that else happened. And there was a lot of things on that poster that is, are not, that did not work. Like there's a lot of the bands that did not actually appear that were first, you know, uh, promoted as being there, like the Moody Blues and whatnot. Um, and obviously it had to change venues, uh, like I think, what, Mike, three, four times before it actually Tw- got to Bethel, right? Exactly. It actually, well, originally it started as a small little show up in Woodstock itself. That's where it right. got, originally got the name because the founders were trying to start a mu- music studio up there. And they had had found out they had agreed to get Bob Dylan and a couple other bands that were based out of Woodstock at the time. But the co-founders of the concert, the guys who were funding it said, hey, we can make more money by just doing a concert. And they found this town called Walk Hill, New York. And they got all the permits for it. And they you know, told them, hey, there's going to be probably like 100,000 people coming to this concert possibly and they had all these bands signed up and they started doing construction on it on this really ugly piece of land which was going to eventually become an office park and it basically they started running electricity out to it and running water sewage and they started doing the construction on for vendors and for buildings and such and pretty much a month and a half before the concert was due to start uh, people like churchgoers and a lot of conservatives basically um, went to the town and said, Hey, we don't want these hippies coming to our town. Um, You know, you're going to lose our support if you guys, you know, let this go on. So the town of Wachill passed a, you know, basically a resolution saying that they could only have 5,000 people, at the most at a gathering in the in the city limits and the piece of property was in the city limits. So basically Woodstock, um, the founders of it, um, Michael Lang, Artie Cornfield, Joel and John, um, they basically all were like, we've got to cancel this thing. And, you know, it's, it made news in the newspapers because they had already sold tickets for this concert. They had already created the, posters for it you could actually get you know somewhere out there the poster that ricky was talking about that actually is the same poster but it says walk hill new york in it you know those are really limited edition 
and worth a lot of money. But um, this guy named Max Yasker, who lived up out in Bethel, New York, um, which was about about 50 miles away from the original location, and said, hey, I have this farm, and if you guys want it, you guys can you know check it out and do it. And the rest is history. So I want to talk um, about also the, uh, well, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I want to, I want to focus a bit on the music because obviously um, that was the, the sort of the, the spine of the event, right? Is uh, everybody came to see the musicians. Uh, there were three days of musicians. Uh, and actually a lot of it is captured uh, in the uh, documentary film, the 1970 documentary movie. Not everything, obviously. Not even every artist appears in that film. No, there's bands uh, there that you wouldn't even know that were at Woodstock because of the movie. Because there's so yeah, many if you've people. only seen the movie, then there's a lot of bands that you're missing out on uh, as far as that were there, sure. But as far as the maybe what you've heard or what you've actually seen from the movies or whatnot, um, I'm just kind of curious as to what uh, uh, performance uh, or artist that uh, you guys um, think maybe was uh, exceptional uh, during that, that weekend. Um, Michelle, I guess we'll start with you. What, uh, what, who jumps out at you as uh, sort of like, it was an amazing event for them as far as an artist. Um, Joan Baez just sounded so beautiful. Just, commanding that stage all by herself with the power of her voice. It was really, um, well, she was pregnant. So it was literally like two of her. Okay. It was two people. Her, her and the baby yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> commanding, commanding that just on their own. And it was just very beautiful. Um, Richie Havens um, ad-libbing that whole long peace with so much power and abandon that was incredible that, uh, it was just amazing that freedom he came up with it right there on the spot and that song actually defined him for the rest of his career yeah and um crosby stills and nash second second time they'd ever played together they were scared shitless and they sounded perfect and i think graham nash said later he was completely high Oh, all uh, of them were. Come on. I, know, I think even if, I think even if they weren't set out to be, my understanding yeah. is is that you got a contact high just contact. being like a mile within like the place. But he he made special note of how high he was, but they sounded just spot on perfect. Um, Bambi, have you seen any of the performances? Is there any uh, um, sort of act that uh, that stands out for you? Well, I've heard, I think it's the Janis Joplin recording mm-hmm. I've heard there. I've heard that one. I think it was CCR, I think I heard a recording. And I'm almost positive the photo that it's so famous that I know of of Jimi Hendrix was there. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's the oh, that, it was at, at Woodstock where his guitar's on fire. No, that, uh, was, that was at Monterey Pop. Yeah, it was Monterey. Yeah. Monterey okay. Pop well, was at the guitar. But where he... Where he he did the uh, star uh, the national anthem the Star Spangled Banner was at Woodstock. Yes. That, okay. Well, that's why I always thought that photo was from Woodstock. But yeah, because okay. yeah, uh, yeah, that uh, was yeah. The way you could tell is that 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 was at that was in the dark. That was on stage in the mm-hmm. dark. Uh, but uh, he, he was uh, Jimmy Hendrix closed the show Monday morning, uh, so he played from nine a.m. to to eleven. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, like everybody was leaving at the time. So there was only out of, uh, like the half a million people that were there during the weekend, only about 
under like 50,000 people actually saw Jimi Hendrix play. Mm -hmm. Because after the rainstorm, a huge amount of the folks left the concert. Yeah, I mean, they had to get back. They had to start like planning to get leave because you knew it was going to take like hours to get out of there. Um, (sighs) And as soon as Sean and I hit, they were like, okay, it's time to go. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, Shana hit right before Jimi Hendrix. I know uh, that's what I was saying. Like, Shana scared everybody away. They're like, "Okay, we could leave now." And then Jimi Hendrix comes on and, and blows everybody away for two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the funny thing with Shana was that they weren't even, you know, supposed to be there. And Jimi Hendrix basically said, "If you want me there, you have to have Shana Wow. Because Sean Anna, he was he was like having Sean Anna at the time was opening for him. I see. And so it was like take me or and have this band with us. And everyone was like, Are we still tripping on acid? There's a fifties band up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird mix. I mean, it wasn't like I think um uh Friday was the folk day. So there was a, everybody was really kind of focused on the um the sort of acoustic set. On Friday, uh, Saturday was more, you know, getting into rock. Uh, Santana probably was the first, like, really, like, outstanding rock art artist there. Uh, and then you've got Canned Heat and, of course, The Dead and CCR and Janis Joplin. Sly and the Family Stone goes another direction. Then The Who comes on with Jefferson Airplane in the morning. Um, it's just, like, yeah, everybody wakes up uh, to 8 a.m. to Jefferson Airplane. To, that's pretty amazing. It was so interesting because they were so far behind and that's why jefferson airplane started at dawn you know pretty much yeah yeah and that's why i kind of ccr is kind of mad because they they were originally supposed to be on like much earlier and they came on really late um and uh yeah i heard that they don't really have great uh uh things to say about their their woodstock appearance so uh but and i can understand that because the pictures that i've seen of him uh john fogarty has a bowl cut and I would not want that preserved for um, eternity. I, I know that my, my mom gave me a bowl cut when I was little. And uh, I, I'm glad that those pictures don't really aren't really out there on Facebook. And then your mom probably went, Michael, you'll look just like John Fogarty. No, she had no idea. Who John <laughs> she had no idea who John Fogarty was. She would probably say I would look more like Engelbert Humbert. Uh, so <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, Barry Manilow, that's what that was more her speed. Um, but, uh, okay. So Ricky, what about you? What about, uh, any sort of performances that we haven't mentioned or anything musically that, uh, that, uh, when it happened on the weekend that got your attention? Well, definitely Joe Cocker. Ah, Joe yes. Cocker's performance was, um, it, it's, that's probably when I think of Joe Cocker, what I think of is his performance at Woodstock. Um, the who and Hendrix, uh, is is another well the who's performance in general and um and hendrix's performance in general i think are uh some of the the performances that stand out the most when i think of the festival yeah it's a and if now mike i doing the looking around and the research you know i can find of course there's the movie the four-hour movie but outside of that and some various home movies and some, you know, footage taken by, you know, reporters at the time, there's not like, it's not like you can just go and watch the who's complete set. But you or, can listen to it now. Yes, you can listen to it. Right. Is, is the audio for all three days, like everything available now? Well, 
basically our friends at Rhino Records for the 50th anniversary put out 1969 copies of a 37 <laughs> disc set. Wow. Which wow. is the whole concert, not just the music, all the stage announcements, everything wow. from the very first thing to the end after Hendrix played. Wow. Awesome. It's the like whole, you're right there. It sold out in 20 minutes. Wow. It was selling for $800. Ooh. Ouch. Dude, it was, everything was. So re- you bought three? Of course I did. I used, <laughs> I used our Patreon money. What do you mean? Yeah, I was going to say, you bought, you bought us all a copy, right? Of course. Surprise. No. <laughs> I would love to have gotten a copy of that. It was, you know, it's just amazing what they did. Because I listened to a podcast called All Songs Considered. And it's from NPR. And they actually interviewed the guy who remastered everything. Because there's certain bands up there that, you know, the sound system was not built for half a million people at Woodstock. And so, you know, basically it was people who were on the upper end of the bowl and further back could barely hear anything. You could hear like almost like background noise of the music playing. But they took somebody had it in their withal to tape the whole concert you know, to do record everything. And he found them in a warehouse somewhere. Well, it's just probably those people that follow the dead around. Cause they, they're always making tapes of the dead. Everywhere. Mm. Like, the, so the, those... the dead was another band that just has <laughs> not good things to say about Woodstock. Oh really? Cause they, Cause, yeah, you don't see them perform in the movie, but you do see Jerry like smoking a joint. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, you could hear, you know, you know, you see Jerry, you see them getting off the helicopter. So, you know, they're there, but the dead, the problem was the dead always traveled with their own sound system. And they basically, it, their sound system was not compatible with the Woodstock comp- sound system they had. And so it was also after they performed right after one of the rainstorms they had, because you saw the big thunderstorm and everything that happened on Sunday. but when the dead played, it was after a slight rainstorm. And like we had mentioned earlier in the show, they had to rush to put this thing together. They barely got the stage together and the stage didn't even work. Uh, You know, they built this huge, awesome, like modern, like turntable system for the stage where they'd be able to have one band setting up while another band played. And then they'd be able to turn the turntable and move the gear, you know, right there. And yeah, that, that it didn't. it it broke within the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> and it didn't work for the rest of the show. <laughs> you know, if it's going to break when they're setting up folk singers, it's not going to work for the rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> and so that, you know, they just didn't have the time to do it. So when they did that, they weren't able to bury the electrical cables. And so with the rain, they had exposed wires and cables and everything. They weren't able to chain up the uh, sound towers and the light towers that you see in the concert that people are climbing up on and everything. And so, like I said earlier, this is the show that should not have worked. There should have been so many disasters. And, you know, um, there's a great 
you know, interview with the dead. And I think it was with Bob Weir, who's one of the lead singers. And he, he was saying when they got up there to play, because stuff was not grounded when he went to go touch the microphone, it shot, you saw electricity come off of it mm. kept on oh, and kept on shocking him. And that's where they based the scene uh, from in the movie, almost famous. Uh, when the lead singer, the band there, um, grabbed the microphone and started was going to sing, and he got electrocuted. And that's based off of what happened at Woodstock. And so there was all these different things, and so the Dead was having issues playing their their sound, their instruments, and singing. And so songs that were supposed to go like twenty minutes, like the typical Grateful Dead songs, were going two minutes. And then they had dead time because they were trying to figure out the sound system and they had to banter with the audience. It's just, and you could hear all this stuff on the CDs, which is pretty cool. The new ones, but you know, for those folks out there um, with the CDs, you there's no way to get the 37 disc set anymore, but um, they do have a 10 disc set that is out put out by rhino also and that's not limited edition i think it's like 110 bucks on amazon Mm -hmm. and it has all the music from every band it just doesn't have like this the banter the announcements and all everything between it but if you want to hear the jefferson airplanes whole set you you get this and it has it's just it's just amazing what they have and you know and like you had mentioned earlier, some who the most amazing bands to come out of this, I have to say probably was Santana. You know, yeah, Santana really opened a lot of people's eyes because a lot of people on the East Coast had not seen them before. Santana hadn't even they had the band hadn't even released an album yet. Yeah, Their album so, didn't come out for another five months. There were a lot of people that were just like what is happening who is this guy well the, the drummer exactly the baby drummer, yes exactly and the funny thing with it is santana wasn't originally supposed to be there it was originally supposed to be chicago transit authority in this like that guy from clerks mm-hmm. well there was a lot of people that weren't supposed to be there right like the but uh bill graham Bill, John Sebastian that appeared after Santana wasn't supposed to perform either well yeah because John Sebastian had just broken up with the loving spoonful he was just there he was just at the concert exactly like, uh, we had some time to because there was a lot of problems logistically because they were having a lot of problems getting people like artists to and from like the stage from where they were staying at the hotels and whatnot so so they had to fly him in but of course that logistically added a lot of delay so well, exactly um, and there was also because i don't think richie havens was supposed to start no I think, uh, sweetwater was supposed to go first yeah but he was there and he didn't even have his whole band with him but they were just like just go out and do something so he was out there for two hours when he was just making up songs mm, they literally <laughs> every time he tried to get off the stage they said can you do another encore can you do another encore he's like i've run out of material so i'll just make up a song and then he made up a song that he's known for now that is classic so mm-hmm, exactly um I'm really curious to to hear now, usually when we, you know, spotlight a band, uh, I like to ask, you know, uh, get um, the musician's opinion of some of the songs that they, that the band's known for, et cetera, et cetera. But because this is an event and I know that, you know, you guys have played Ricky and Bambi, you guys have played outdoors before you have, you played festival, you played festivals, right? 
And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously nothing this big, but can you even imagine playing a festival like this? Well, to, to put it into perspective, um, a lot of people have seen the, the video for Queen at Wembley. Woodstock is five times the size of Queen at Wembley. Right. Five times as many people. Now, Queen at Wembley was huge. So to think that this was that much bigger is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. We've never played to as many people as Queen at Wembley. <laughs> so, so trying to imagine playing to half a million people is... That, that's a lot of people. Yeah, we it, have experienced the uh, getting shocked from the microphones. Though, yes, we have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> that happens way more than it should. Yes. Ouch. Um, I, I I can only imagine, and you know, obviously with the conditions, whether it's raining or whether it's just hot, um, it, it's just playing outdoors allows probably a lot more of things that you have to be mindful of, right? Yes. Yes. And people don't understand uh, the effect of water mm-hmm. on a band. Um, I, all the time we have shows that are outdoor shows after it's rained and people say, well, I think it's done raining. You'll be fine. Go on out and set up. And they don't understand. We, we have electrical cables running on the ground <laughs> and you've got, you know, three inches of water over there that, there's kind of an issue. Yeah, or they'll, or uh, they, there's usually the, uh, oh, if it does rain, it'll just rain for a minute. It won't be a big deal. It's like it only takes a minute to destroy everything. Yeah, uh, we've uh, we have been set up um, as a hurricane was coming through. Oh yeah. Oh, what was that? And we've been set up as a tornado was coming yeah. through. I was thinking the uh, on the Myrtle Beach. We did a thing on on the pier in Myrtle the Beach. The Tybee Island. Yeah, Tybee Island. Yeah, when when a storm was coming in, and whoo whoo, that was that destroyed some stuff. Yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly water can come in and just just destroy your gear. So knowing that Woodstock was uh, just kind of thrown together, the 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 stage and the PA and all the electrical and. Also knowing that this is um, rel- relatively new territory in the late '60s uh, in terms of of having a PA system that's that's a big PA, certainly a PA system that's this big, combined with all of the last minute thrown together uh, construction um, and and the rain. I just can't even imagine trying to perform under those conditions. Forget about the 400,000 people, just the logistics of the stage and the wiring and the rain all combined. It it would have been really tough. And I can understand how some of the bands would have uh, maybe felt like it was the best experience of their lives and how other bands may have felt like it was one of the worst. Yeah, it's like I can understand why some of them would say, "I'm I'm not going to play in the rain. I'm going to wait till it stops." Sure. But at the same time, you know, it's like it could be a missed opportunity. But you never know. I don't think anybody knew that Woodstock was going to be as big as it was. Well, the or th- as lasting, or as lasting. Yeah. Well, of course, because there were other, you know, there other were other festivals, but they a lot of them you don't hear about. A month before this festival, there was a festival 
very similar in Atlanta, actually, at, at the Atlanta Speedway, down where now I think what is it, High Five Buys or whatever the uh, Lakewood area is, and they basically had Joe Cocker, Joe Baez, um, a lot of the other bands. They even had Led Zeppelin at that, yeah, you know, at that festival. But they, there was something about, I mean, and Monterey, you know, was, was a thing back then too. And there was a, there was a one in uh, Miami uh, in the, but I think the thing about Woodstock that makes it so special at the time, obviously the bands, and the music is amazing, right? So that's, there's that, that element that we just talked about. But I think what makes Woodstock Woodstock is what happened like outside of the, the music experience. Um, it wasn't just a concert because as Mike pointed out, there were other shows, there were other out, it, Woodstock wasn't the first outdoor show. It wasn't even like in the history, it hasn't even been the biggest outdoor show. Um, but there is the, the fact that, uh, at the time in the sixties, whenever you got young people together, like the show in Miami, like the one in Atlanta, there was violence. There was a huge cop presence and then people got hurt. A lot of people got hurt. Um, the Monterey one in, in California was very corporate. You just pay your ticket, you know, you pay your money, go sit down and have a good time, watch music. And then you leave. This was billed as an event. Like you were going to, you didn't just go to the venue and, and then the music was done. And then you went back to your hotels and then went to the, you know, went back to the venue the next day or anything. You were supposed, you're going to stay there. And it was just going to be a, a weekend, a whole experience Instead of hiring cops, they hired, um, what was it called? The hog farm? Yes. To take care of, you know, security and other needs that people had. And even though that seemed insane at the time, because why would you hire someone like that was named Wavy Gravy to be in charge of your security, right? That just sounds like it's going to, like Mike said, there's so many things that like, why did you do this? This is going to fail, right? Um, but yet it was the best move because I swear if you had had cops there, like, like legitimate, like presence of police force that was going to, you know, and enforce things like drugs and, and drug use and all that kind of stuff, this would have been a nightmare. Like this would have been one of the, like, like a stain on American history. Oh, exactly. It, like I keep on saying it should have not worked, but it did. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, because literally, what was it, four months later, they had uh, Altamont. Right. And yeah. that's where they hired the, instead of the hog form, they hired the Hells Angels <laughs> as a security right. guard. Yeah. And Ooh. that was a true disaster. It's almost one of those things that it's like violence begets violence, right? Like if you hire like police force or Hells Angels or something like that, you're just expecting trouble. Like if you expect trouble, there's going to be trouble. Like it's going to live up to that. But you always see what you're looking for. Yeah. You're, you're, but with an event like this, and I think it's amazing because, you know, I don't know exactly why people felt compelled. So many people felt compelled to come to this. I mean, it was a good show. Like it was nicely billed and everything like that, but there was something about the timing of it that attracted because they thought you know they sold about what a hundred uh, 150,000 tickets they thought maybe they would get 200,000 people there mm. they got like over twice that well exactly and part of the problem was 
also people started showing up to the site and started camping on site a week and a half before the concert was supposed to start. Sure. Sure. It's like getting to Dragon Con now and sitting in the lobby and waiting <laughs> and everything. And literally, and they, you know, there was already probably about 40,000 people that just showed up. And, yeah. you know, they couldn't, they hadn't even put up the fences yet. And what were they going to say? Excuse me, can you leave so we could put up fences? No, you couldn't do yeah. that. Yeah, they just didn't end up the time. I mean, they, they, when as they got down to like the wire, they were like, we can either spend the time and money working on the stage or working on the fence. And they worked on the stage because that was more important to them. Um, and then they very quickly within the first day, they realized they can't keep up with this. They can't like, like they can't enforce the ticket thing. So it's just going to be a three day free concert. And but I don't think it's not like everybody could text everybody and say, "Hey, it's free. Come on down." I mean, everybody was already there, <laughs> you know? or on their way. Yeah, or on their way. Uh, and that's the other thing when you watch the when you watch the documentary, great documentary uh, that was done by PBS American Experience that is available on Netflix. I recommend everybody check it out. If you can't devote four hours to watching the the, uh, the concert documentary, watch the hour and a half documentary that's on Netflix because it's really awesome. But um, it's really well put together. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of thing that I look at and I'm like, man, this is this is amazing. This is what this is why Woodstock is Woodstock and why it can never be created. Because there's going to be, you know, there's fil- there's music festivals all the time. Uh, and and I think the biggest ones in the country are what uh, Bonnaroo, 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 and then what's the one in California? Begins with a C. Oh, Coachella. Yeah, Coachella, right? Because Coachella, didn't Beyonce get like a million people at that one or something? It was huge, right? It was way I don't, bigger. Than I don't think she got a million. But I think, it, I, think the, I think the numbers were bigger than, say, like Woodstock. But it was also more organized. You know, that's why you can't do Woodstock again, even though they thought about it. Um, because it's just something that, it just happened. Like, and now it's like, it would be corporate sponsored. There'd be tickets enforced. It would just be, it just wouldn't have the same, like in what's going on in the country. It just wouldn't be the same. Right. Right. No, it, it was the perfect time, the perfect place, everything. It was, there was just so much positive. They ran out of food on Saturday of the concert and literally the people um, in Monticello and Bethel, White Lake area, they all went, people went from their own houses and they donated food for the, you know, the people, farmers from around the area, hard boiled eggs and sent them dozens and dozens and dozens of egg, hard boiled eggs to feed these people. And, and it's, could, it's just amazing. And even though the governor, at the time was freaking out and thought, you know, declared it a disaster area. Um, and they were going to send, you know, the military in. Um, I'm glad that they came to the agreement to only send the helicopters in to bring in supplies because I can only imagine like if you're sitting there enjoying the concert, especially if you're on LSD, like, and you see army helicopters like coming in, like that would just completely freak you out. Not to mention ruin your buzz. Yeah. 
especially at that time in American history. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, all these kids are, are they've got the, the shadow of Vietnam right there on them, right? Oh, exactly. You know, you would think, oh, my God, the army is coming to get us. But actually, the military actually sent doctors to help with it. Yeah. They, instead of, you know, they somehow convinced them, don't send the military, don't send, oh, we don't want, you know, the army here, just send us doctors. That's what we need. Send us food, carry the food here. That's what we need. And that was, that was a smart play. Cause again, that's another way it could have gone horribly wrong. Um, getting ready to wind down so much more to talk about, but I wanted to ask you guys before we get out of here, I want to ask, so we'll start with you, Michelle. So looking back on it now, and I mean, I know that you were around back then, but looking back on it now, if you could, would you attend Woodstock? <laughs> like, if you had the opportunity to get in the TARDIS, would you would you attend Woodstock? Would you like let's say, hey Doc, let's go to the Woodstock? <laughs> wow, um... it's a lot of people a lot of people <laughs> in the rain and the mud yeah. and the smell and the smell oh, I can't even imagine how <laughs> oh, it smelled my, my uncle says that's what he remembers the most from it <laughs> i bet i bet that place still kind of reeks no actually it's wonderful what they've done there i'll tell you about that in a minute it's on the uh national register of historic uh mm-hmm. as of 2017 yep. um It's it's a hard thing to say because I am the product of a different time and place and mentality. And as much as I admire what I what I saw sure. this weekend on screen, being there would be really different. I guess I would say yes if I could, if I knew I could get out. Yeah, if you could, yeah, if, <laughs> if you could, if you, to, if you knew I had a TARDIS there, if you I didn't could just have quickly to hike to my car, quickly go and have a nap uh, in a shower. <laughs> um, and maybe but uh ricky and baby do you wish you, you could go oh definitely not would you like to <laughs> would, would you like to perform would you like to perform at woodstock if i were going well one of the things that i was going to say um is i think one of the biggest things that set woodstock apart from every other festival was the movie and if i could perform and and know that my part of my performance would be remembered in the movie, then I might go through all of the anguish of being there to to be memorialized that way. But um, in terms of enjoying the festival, I, I think it would have been uh, not my kind of experience in any way. <laughs> I mean, we we've talked about the rain on the stage and the the fact that the stage was thrown together last minute and people were getting shocked up there and the the technology in 1969 was not what it is today um i think that it would have been a a very difficult show despite the number of people now if you could take me there in a tardis and i could uh, <laughs> that's what i was thinking and i would get an opportunity to ride in a tardis that would be a big part of the, <laughs> the deal First thing I thought. So it's kind of a, do you want to play Woodstock? No, you get to ride in the TARDIS. Uh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll do it. 
But um, <laughs> as amazing as Woodstock is, as amazing as it is to look back on it, and as much as I've enjoyed watching the performances from some of these great artists, no, I, I wouldn't enjoy being there at all. Yeah. Okay. I have mixed about it. I, it's like part of me would love to be there and witness how they put this together. I mean, I'm just looking at photos while we're talking and just looking at the sound rig. I, I imagine the front row was visually awesome, but I bet you couldn't hear crap because it was so loud. You know, just the the way that it's set up, you probably couldn't hear anything r- really close to the stage, but it would look neat. And so it's like you would also be monitors. stoned off your ass because of all the smell. Yeah. Like all the musicians, I don't see monitors. I'm I'm trying to find where they have monitors. Maybe I just haven't found a photo of it yet. But I'm like, I, they the must have had monitors well. because at at one point in the concert, I can remember. I can't remember who it was performing, but they actually kind of like mo- mo- motion to somebody. Like I can't hear. Like so they were. I think it was during the Crosby, Stills and Nash. Like one of them uh, was like. Like you need to turn this thing down or something like that. Like he was motioning. So they must've been able to hear it somewhat. They may have had side fills. Yeah. But you also had the monitoring system go down because that's what happened with blood, sweat and tears. That's why you've never mm-hmm. heard them in an album before because of the, you know, the lack of monitor, you, the horns couldn't hear each other and such, but you know, with the remastered version, they have, you know, synced up the horns and everything, and it sounds better than they said that it did at Woodstock. Yeah, I do wonder if, like, watching the movie, that the the all the audio is pumped up enough, so and and you know, doctored enough that it sounds a lot better than than it did at the show. So, um, uh, yeah, but so, I just uh, if I could stop in and leave, like, shortly <laughs> after, whenever I wanted, not have to hang around and deal with the the smell and the the just grossness of that many people being together <laughs> not to mention like every other person is buck naked yeah. <laughs> no, no. i i do think uh me at the age i am now probably views it a lot differently than i would have at 16 yeah that's what i was thinking like 50 year old me no way no way i'd just be like i'll just watch it on you know streaming right over right um but you know, like 17, 18, 20, 21 year old me, like, yeah, that would have been pretty awesome. I think I would have, yeah. like, I, really I, I did I, things that were really dumb. Like I, <laughs> that, I, that I can't brag about, like, like I could, if I had been to Woodstock. So I've done so many things musically uh, in my life that I, I have kind of a, I mean, there's no way I can know what it would have been like to be at Woodstock. Nobody there did either. That I can look at the situation and say, well, here are 15 things that would have been hell for me. <laughs> and again, if if I could make it uh, the ideal, not bringing reality into the situation at all situation, where I could fly in in a helicopter and do a show without being electrocuted and leave immediately after, that would be one thing. <laughs> but that just doesn't seem like how it went for any of the musicians there. <laughs> yeah. Even the musicians were were kind of at the mercy of the situation. Mike, what about you? Would you go back and a little older? Yeah, I think I would, at least to see what it was 
something I could remember because you have to remember also the movie is a fantasy. This is the best of everything. And and (laughs) think about how many bad stuff happens in the movie. (laughs) Well, exactly. But if you look at it, it is just, you know, it, I would love to experience it myself. That's one of my favorite places in the world to be is up there. And, you know, I grew, I grew up there and it has so many good memories and to see what everybody else was talking about and everything. Cause even growing up, you would have go by fields. Oh, see that uh, overgrown school bus over there that brought people to the concert. They just couldn't get it out of the field, you know, and stuff, or, you know, hearing this and that and just seeing it in it, what really happened and everything. It's just awesome. So yeah, I would do it. Well, it was definitely a thing that uh <laughs> I was gonna say it's definitely a thing that happened. Um and but it was an amazing thing that happened. Um and I don't think I think a lot of people just look at it as, you know, a film festival uh, as a as a music festival. Um and a lot of great bands were there. Um but I think I think it's more, you know, watching the documentaries both the documentary film, the music one and the, the Netflix one. And there's certainly other things that you can watch and read too that are out there, but to find out more about the event, what happened, um, uh, you know, outside of the music itself to me is, is impressive, maybe even more so than the music that was played there. Uh, the fact that uh, half a million kids, kids, really uh, people got together people. And, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of like, there wasn't, a, there wasn't much violence at all. Only two people died. Um, you know, it was, you know, I mean, one, they, was, one was a heroin overdose and one was an accident. A kid was, uh, got run, run over by a, a tractor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what is actually pretty cool. You can actually go online and see the medical records that, you know, they kept a log of all the different, um, injuries and such for, from the concert. And, you know, it's, I think it's at the, actually the Woodstock Museum that they have on the site now, but you can actually go online and see it. And the most you'll see of the injuries that were reported were people with cuts on their feet. Yeah. Well, there were, and there were a lot of people, there were about, I think they said an estimate of like 300 people that had to be like taken, like helped down because of the bad highs that they were on. Oh, Exactly. A lot of people were trying things for the first time. That's where Woodstock is really where LSD became a thing because LSD really wasn't a thing until like it was introduced to half a million people <laughs> at Woodstock. All of a sudden people were like, what is this? And then, you know, so, uh, so that, that was the thing. Um, and I know if I were there, my luck would have been like just before the guy announced don't take the brown acid is when I would have taken the brown acid. So, <laughs> You'd be like, now they tell me. Okay. I would have taken but I, but I just like, took the brown acid. What, what am I supposed to do? It's like, like oh, that no. one brown acid, like, that was mud. Like, 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 I'd be afraid to have a bad trip anyway, but now that the guy just planted that in my head, it's like, <laughs> oh, now I'm going to have a nightmare. So now I'm going to even be more paranoid. When I had a bread to the medical tent when and wavy gravy can talk me down. Um <laughs> um well very cool well it's been awesome uh to uh talk about woodstock with you guys and appreciate it and um yeah we will end this segment and we'll be right back with the eso network con
Howdy! Dragon Con 2019 is fast approaching, so fill up your buckets of rum and keep up with the latest news, announcements, interviews, and mispronunciations of guest names as only the Con Report podcast crew can make. Let us be your guide each month as we count down to the big event on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite media play. Listen to the Dragon Con Con Report. It's almost as good as being there, but without the long lines, smelly gamers, and hangover. For the week of August 22nd, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, there's an event coming up here, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not nearly as huge as as Woodstock. But for us geeks, it is very similar in feeling and 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 finding a place uh, among your tribe to hang out and just geek out and and relax and have peace and geekery, and that is Dragon Con. Dragon Con is here in Atlanta, Labor Day weekend, which is August 29th through September 2nd. Uh, look, ESO Network is going to be all over this place. Uh, I will be there. Uh, I will actually be at a table. Uh, I will have a table in the Comic and Pop Artist Alley. Uh, my table is 721, and I will be right next to Peter Cutler, who is 719. And uh, we will be. We'll have all sorts of cool uh, Tiki Zombie stuff and other comic stuff that we're working on as well as a new pin there's a new tiki zombie pin this one for hulu uh so we'll have that available at the show we'll have the eso network books as well so if you need a copy of tales of the station volumes one two and three we've got them we can hook you up for those as well and uh ricky and bambi are going to be at my table as well so it's going to be a blast we're going to have a good time just that's just at my table now i'll also be doing panels and of course, a lot of us are doing panels. Mike has got way more panels than I do. But before we get into our panels, I want to just run real quick and mention some of the other people who are going to be there from the network. Uh, Chris and Tina are going to be there representing the Nerd Bliss uh, podcast. Joe and Brad, of course, Joe and Brad, Brad are going to be there. They're there every year for the Cigar Nerds. Um, Nicole from Terminus Podcast is going to be there. This will be the first time I've ever seen her at Dragon Con. Uh, she usually doesn't come out to the big, big, big shows. Uh, but, uh, David Tennant, that, uh, that, that'll get her, that gets her out there. Um, from speaking of Dr. Who from earth station, who, uh, of course, Mike and I will be there, but Mary Ogle will be there as well. In fact, we'll be recording a panel as part of the Brit track. Uh, Nathan from the 42 cast. I think this is only his second trip to dragon con. He'll be there. Um, making his very first Dragon Con appearance ever all the way down from Canada is Sean Vanderloo. Uh, he is behind the Rusted Robot podcast as well as the Soul Forge podcast here on the ESO network. Uh, and someone who's always comes to Dragon Con, Kevin from the Flopcast, he will be there. And uh, the mayor of Chicken Town, Felicity, will be there as well, representing Chicken Town. Thunder Talk, which is a new podcast on the ESO Network. Uh, Dan will be representing that. Well, Dan, uh, there'll be other people there from Thunder Talk, Mike? Yes, they will. Okay. 
Uh, I haven't, uh, they're a new network and uh, they're a new show on the network. So I don't know everybody who's on that show. I know I think, Dan's going to be representing. There's going to be four of them from Thunder Talk. Wow. Okay. So uh, also uh, from uh, what, speaking of new podcasts that are just joining the network, we already talked to Thomas and Adam and uh, Thomas will be at the, the Dragon Con, right? Yes, sir. Thomas will be there and hopefully it'd be great to meet him face to face for the first time. Absolutely. And uh, also, uh, representing the Dragon Con Con Report, uh, Mary Lou, and uh, Mary Lou, who actually, and Darren Noel will be wandering around partying. And last but certainly not least, uh, they, they are, have been with us on the network since almost day one of the network, uh, Jason and Rita from the various Transmissions podcast, Transmissions from Atlantis, Transmissions from Gallifrey. They will be attending as well. So those are the official uh, ESO Network representatives uh, that are going to be at DragonCon. There's plenty of other friends of the station that are going to be there as well, uh, including you. If you're going to be there, you are a friend of the station. If you listen to the show, if you're listening right now, you are a friend of the station. If you're going to be at DragonCon, come by our panels. Come by and say howdy to us. Come by my table. I would love to meet you. Uh, We are going to be doing a lot of panels. um, as I've only got four which is enough. Uh, it's going to keep me busy. Uh, two of them are ones that I'm going to be on with uh, Mr. Faber. Uh, one is uh, the Earth Station One Presents Galaxy Quest 20th Anniversary. Uh, Mike and I, along with uh, some other friends of the station, Darren Powell. Why did I say Powell? That's what it says. <laughs> Darren Powell? That's what it says on the notes I got. That's what the Dragon Con sent me a list, and it says Darren Powell. Oi. Yeah. Oi. Sorry, let me start that again. That's exactly what it says. I'm like, Darren Powell? Powell? Thank you, Uh, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Three, two. Mike and I will be on that panel uh, and uh, also we'll feature some friends of the station. Uh, Tara Newman, Darren Noel, and Will Nix will be uh, uh, joining us to celebrate. Actually, Jennifer Adams is also going to be joining us. She is one of our patrons who actually donates at the top level, and she got to pick a panel that she wanted to be on. Ding, ding, ding. So it does pay to be a patron. Very much so. And you can celebrate the 20th anniversary of Galaxy Quest with us. Uh, Then on Saturday is the Earth Station Who panel, and that is Deconstructing Doctor Who. And that features Mike, myself, Mary Ogle, and as well as another Mike from the uh, drop of mics that we have all over Dragon Con. Michael Faulkner will be there, and Tara Newman will be joining us as well for that one. Um, And then as far as my panels goes, there's two others that I'll be doing on Saturday as well. At Saturday at 4 o'clock is the Show Us Your Tiki. It's, it's It's the fourth annual Tiki Pop Art panel that I'll be on with, uh, I'll be moderating that one as well as featuring uh, artist Derek Yaniger, uh, Jonathan and Sarah will be joining us for that one too. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you can make it to that one, I would be grateful. We're going to have a blast. And then on Saturday night, it's at 10 PM. The needless things uh, podcast presents troublemaker, the movie. Uh, I will be hosting that uh, celebration. We'll actually be airing the entire movie. Uh, about uh, Dave called Troublemaker. Uh, and it will feature also the director, Jason C. Woods, 
Dave will be there and some other specials, very special guests will be in attendance as well. Uh, you'll get free swag for that one too. So you want to come out and see the movie, get some swag, just have a great time. It's going to be a blast. Or they could give so, each every person a wrestling mask. Maybe, maybe. Um, well, I do know it's going to be something you can wear. I can tell you that. It's going to be something you can wear. Uh, um, and that's all I'll say. But um, uh, so those are the four panels I'll be on. Mike, I know you've got a few more than that. So uh, without further ado. Okay. I'm going to be on 10 panels actually this year. Uh, going to be on starting on Friday at 10 a.m. We're going to be, of course, doing Spider-Man, your friendly far from home web crawler. That's through the American sci-fi track. Then we have at 1 p.m. on Friday, creating digital media, the art of doing a live podcast. Should be actually a lot of fun to talk about. And then, of course, Mike had mentioned the Galaxy Quest 20th anniversary at 5.30 on Friday. Saturday, we have the classic sci-fi roller panel, which is the Batman's 80th anniversary at 10 a.m., and that's through our friend Joe Crow at the American Classic Sci-Fi Track in the Marriott. 1 p.m., we're doing the Earth Station Who, and that's Deconstructing Doctor Who. And then, then at, ready for this, folks, at 8.30 p.m. on Saturday, I'm going to be working with our friend Dr. Q, and we're doing Bill and Ted. That's right. We are going to be talking about Bill and Ted and how it applies to alternative timelines and such and how it's you know affecting the past, the present, and the future. It's pretty cool stuff. A couple of righteous dudes. Sunday at 1130, I am going to be doing with the Brit Treks uh, a James Bond panel to talk about the 50th anniversary of James Bond. So it should be a lot of fun. And because there's so many different anniversaries, because this year is the uh, anniversary of Her Majesty's Secret Service, 40th of Moonraker, and 30th of License to Kill, and 20th of World is Not Enough. So a lot of James Bond to talk about this year. Uh, then we are going to be doing at 4 p.m. on Sunday the how to get started in digital media. That's basically how to, if you want to get into podcasting, live video or audio we're going to be talking all about that with the podcast track or sorry new media track and then last but not least on sunday at 7 p.m also with the new media track we are doing pitch the digital media pros it's kind of like think shark tank but with podcasts so it should be kind of fun to do and then Monday at 11.30, I am doing Russian Doll, which is an amazing show on Netflix. And we're going to be talking all about that. And that's back over at the American Sci-Fi Track. So that's what I have right now. You never know who will pull me into other panels and such, because this is a light year for me. So it's only 10. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So you can find us at those panels and uh you know check out the other people on the eso network because they'll be posting their panel schedules as well and if you want to find out about more things to dragon con to to be excited about please check out the final episode of the dragon con con report which is gonna be it should be out by the time you're listening to this so check it out it's just full of 
everybody talking about what we're looking forward to. A lot of friends of the station are joining us. A lot of people contributed, sent us emails. Thank you so much for participating, everybody. It was a blast to put together this episode. And uh, I think it really gets you excited for the event itself. So if you uh, certainly, if you uh, are traveling to, uh, to Atlanta for Dragon Con, this is something that you can just pop in your ears and uh, it'll get you ready, ready, uh, prepared as much as possible for the main event. Um, so that's all I have as far as that's enough, you know, I mean, that's the big event. So that's what we've got going on post Dragon Con. There's some stuff happening for sure. We'll get to all that in a couple of weeks. But for the meantime, uh, if I don't see a Dragon Con, uh, I will see, well, we'll be recording a lot of stuff. So that'll be available through our patrons and a couple of things we'll, we'll dish out as freebies. So we'll try to bring the con to you as much as possible. And um, we hope to see you guys there. And if not, then we will definitely be here, you know, next week and the week after and the week after because Earth Station One's not going anywhere. And we love talking about conventions. So please reach out to us. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining and listening us ramble about Woodstock this week. It was a lot of fun. Let's thank our guests, of course. Of course, first, Ricky and Bambi, thank you so, so much. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. Anything you guys want to promote? Uh, Mike Tiki Zombie is going to be at Dragon Con this weekend, and we'll be helping him out at his table. Awesome. So stop by, you know, and say hey to the friends of Radio Cult. Be very cool to see them. Awesome. So you'll be at their table the whole, the whole time or just certain days? Uh, we'll be there a lot on Saturday. And other than that, I think we're playing it by ear. Okay. It's going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is awesome. That is really, really awesome. Well, cool. It's going to be great to see you guys there. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having us. And Michelle, thank you, of course, for joining us for the music segment. Thank you. And of course, thank you for all the work you've done over, gosh, almost two years now doing the the segment each week. Time flies. Yeah, we're all having so much fun, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Anything you want to shout out about? on the blog iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com um, talking about some ladies that should be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame we're getting into prediction season and nomination season close on its heels so. that yeah. is awesome any hint who you're going to get who you're predicting uh, I think I will have Nine Inch Nails on my list um, and Todd Rundgren uh, other than that uh, that's as far as I've gotten well, okay. That'll be very interesting to see who's going to be eligible this year, too. So it should be a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll talk all about it. We will. We will. Hey, boy, that, that's going to be right there on the corner, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And, uh, you know, we did, man. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, man. <laughs> it, was a, it was, yeah, it was really nice. There were a lot of freaks, but it was awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, we didn't really uh, we didn't really invoke the spirit. We should have all just been like stone. And, 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 uh, and who says knowledge. we? And who says we aren't? No. <laughs> true. Speak for yourself. Okay. Square. Damn, why didn't I get some? Square. Uh, I guess so. Mark. Yeah. So, what do you got a shout out about, Mikey? Uh, I want to give a shout out to, I think it was last week. It was either last week or the week before. I was uh, giving a shout out to my good friend, Robert Jimenez, the artist of uh, uh, the cover for Tiki Zombie number three, as well as the ESO uh, volume three. So Tales of the Station. Um, and he has a Kickstarter that I think is just finishing up now. Um, and uh, he is actually appearing on the Needless Things podcast in a mini cast episode uh, with uh, Dave West. So go check that out and listen to him and then go right to his Kickstarter and help finish him out. That is awesome. All right. My shout out real quick, actually ties into the main topic, actually, that we talked about, about Woodstock. Uh, Two things we're going to talk about real quick. Um, Up on Amazon, other than the box set, there's also a book out there called Barefoot in Babylon, the creation of the Woodstock Music Festival, 1969. It's a nice 500-page short little book that you can read, and it talks about the ins and out and all the trouble they were going into about making the festival. And, you know, they also talk about, you know, these guys who put on the festival, they weren't planning on doing a free music festival. It just happened, and they all went bankrupt. And But thank goodness they've decided to film it for a documentary because that's what actually pulled them out of the financial troubles. And there's a brand-new 50th anniversary uh, with a Ford by Graham Nash, and it is well worth looking at and really checking out. It's a great, great book, and it's something I studied and such, and that's how I learned a lot about the history about Woodstock. Also, if you ever are in upstate New York in the Catskills and decide to, you know, go explore, now they have where the site was. It's not a farm anymore. It's now the Bethel Woods Center for the Arts. And they have a Woodstock Museum there. And they also have live performances still there. Um, You have, you know, an amphitheater that's just like, you know, what you have in your usual town and everything. And it seats like 35,000 people and bands like Dave Matthews play there, Green Day, Fish, you know, all these people. And a lot of the original performers from Woodstock play there all the time too. So it's actually pretty neat to do. And like Michelle had mentioned earlier, the site is now a historic location as of 2017. So it's pretty neat and it's definitely worth the visit. So definitely you could check that out. We'll have a link to the center up there so you can check it out yourself. With that being said, we are done for this week. I want to thank everyone at home and our patrons for helping us out and looking forward to seeing everybody next week at Dragon Con. But we will be back one more episode before the con. We're gluttons for punishment, aren't we, Mike? <laughs> yes, we are. And but we're going to go back to the wrestling ring. That's right. The ladies of glow are back for season three and we're going to be talking all about it. It's going to be a lot of fun, but until then, my name is Mike Faber or you could call me moonbeam if you want. And we'll see you next time here on your station one podcast. Peace. And we're done, dude. And we're done, man. Man, we're out of here. We're just done. 
You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.